From Alaska Teen Media Institute, I'm Ada Bjorkman. This is Zoom Room. A youth-produced podcast where we zoom into a different theme or topic through interviews and conversations relevant to us, the youth of Alaska. After her husband was stationed in Poznan, Poland, Delaney Klodfelter and their son moved there in 2021. They had no idea that they'd be moving to a country just next door to a brutal war. When Ukrainian refugees began pouring into Poland, fleeing the Russian invasion, Claude Felter knew she had to help out. She began raising money to provide displaced Ukrainians with basic needs. Gaining funds locally and back in her hometown of Anchorage, she has since raised nearly $30,000. At Me Senior producer Daisy Carter spoke with Claude Felter about her efforts to aid Ukrainian refugees, stories from those who have escaped the violence brought on by Russia, and how her church in Poznan has provided a haven for those who've left their homeland. They spoke on April 25th, 2022. Well, hi, Delaney. For me, it's good morning. Um, I know for you, it's probably like good afternoon. I know. Good morning. I know it's early. Thanks for being willing. Yeah, it's okay. No, it's finals week. So I had to get up anyways to study for my test today. So I'm really excited to do this interview with you. I have really been following closely to what's been happening with Ukraine and, you know, with, with everything that's been happening on that side of the world. Yeah, it's pretty, it's pretty intense for sure. Um, I know we've got some, I have a kind of a connection through a family member who's actually currently in Ukraine right now. Um, and he's been doing runs to the border. And, um, so yeah, it's, it's been pretty wild for sure. It's, it's really heartbreaking. Can you talk a little bit about what you do in Poland? Well, I guess I'll start with kind of where it got started. So we go to an Orthodox Christian church here called St. Nicholas Orthodox Church. And the Ukrainian people are largely Orthodox Christian by faith. Um, And so it's the only Orthodox Christian church that serves the population here in Poznan, where we live. There's about 550,000 people in Poznan and only one Orthodox church. And so with the influx of Ukrainian people, our church saw a dramatic increase um, in numbers of our congregation. And our church decided right at the start of the war, um, so you know, at the end of February, our church did a drive to collect donations to give to the collection points here in Poznan. And I had some of my immediate family inquiring with me as to how they could assist Uh, if there was anything they could do. And so I mentioned to them that our church was doing this drive. And I said, probably the easiest thing to do is, you know, send me some money, I will go do a shopping trip, and I'll buy, you know, toiletries and some food and clothing and things like that, and take them to the church. And then from there, the church will distribute them as needed. So that's how it got started. And uh, after that, word kind of started to spread. And people then can, you know, were asking me more and more, how can we help? How can we help? And I'll be honest, I was incredibly hesitant to take money from people, but then I got to thinking about it and I just thought to myself, you know, there's need and we need to figure out a way to make this work. So from there, I sort of launched this effort to collect funds via Venmo or Zelle. And even some people were giving my mom checks written out to me that she would deposit on my behalf back in Alaska. 
And um, so anyways, we started collecting money. I extended the deadline um, through March 31st to take donations. And actually to date, uh, we just finished our last effort today and we raised 29,000, I believe it was $29,569. Um, and so with that money, we have partnered with um, a bakery called Lafa Bakery, which is run by two brothers who are from Ukraine. And the bakery is about two buildings over from where I live in Poznan. And we partnered with them to take 100 sweet and savory pastries down to the train depot every day from, I believe we started that on uh, somewhere somewhere near the beginning of March and we uh, are gonna finish out through April 30th. And um, so we did that every day and we took those pastries down to the train depot because that's the first um, point of contact for Ukrainian people you know, coming in to Poznan. And then we partnered with Arena Shelter, which is a shelter that's about 500 feet from our house. And we would just every day on their Facebook, they list what their current needs are. So we've delivered some 50 suitcases to the shelter, food, clothes, tennis shoes, uh, toiletries. We've also um, provided, there's a shelter here. The way it translates to English is the Small Eyes Foundation. And so the Small Eyes Foundation is an organization that helps displaced mothers and children with disabilities. And so they've been renovating an apartment building to accommodate Ukrainian mothers and their children during this time. And we provided them with 14 sets of bunk beds to fill their space. Um, I've also been working with a few people to provide um, you know, needed household things such as beds, sofas, wardrobes, things of that nature. Um, yeah, so that's sort of the, the breadth of, I guess, everything that we've been working on while we've been over here. That's amazing that there's that kind of like local effort to, you know, help the Ukrainians. Yeah, it's incredible. The people in Poland, I mean, so my husband is in the military and he's had to uh, go to the border with military efforts um, while he's been here. And so um, he said it's just on, you know, on his drives to and from because we're actually located on the more western side of Poland. And so he said, you know, I've noticed here in Poznan, like the, the, the amount of support. And he said it's all over, you know, on his drives, just there's stickers on all the public transportation that say Volna Ukraina, which means free Ukraine. And then even people have them on their cars, there's flags everywhere. And just in general, the amount of people that have volunteered their time, their money, everything to accommodate, you know, these people, these neighbors, you know, it's, it's really, it's an incredible act of, you know, love and generosity. It's really beautiful. Can you bring us back to about a month before the invasion? Um, did you feel any, at least local uh, threat of invasion? I didn't personally feel any kind of threat. And I think it really threw people off. You know, I've, I've talked to a lot of my friends and neighbors, um, you know, who live here and they, you know, we knew that he was threatening to do this, that Putin was threatening to come into Ukraine, but everybody kind of just sort of assumed, oh, he's all talk. He does this all the time. There's no way this is going to happen. And I think it, it really took people by surprise. Mm -hmm. 
what was the local reaction at the beginning of the war? Like, were people ready to help? Were people ready to, you know, support Ukraine? Yeah, absolutely. No, that was the craziest thing is people literally just jumped up and started helping immediately with no questions asked. Um, it's a pretty, you know, I love my home country. I love America, but I've never really kind of experienced that type of thing before in the United States. It's more, it, you know, people, people react and they want to help. But I think oftentimes as Americans, we feel very distant to things like this that happen and people might want to help but they don't really know how to and sort of it's, it's sort of a slow uptake but that was the incredible thing here is literally immediately it was just people helping people doing whatever they could and you know one of our main focuses was to help at the train depot and the transformation that has happened from day one of the train depot efforts to now are I mean, it's crazy, the organizational structure, because at the very beginning, it was absolute chaos. I mean, it was, there were just tables out with random piles of food and clothes, and it was just a mess. Nobody knew what was going on, but people were there trying. And then now it's inside, it, there's a whole system, there's, you know, cafe tables set up, there's cots for people to sleep on and get medical care. So I mean, yeah, it, it was pretty incredible to witness people just drop everything and help instantly. Yeah, that's really amazing that you got to experience that. Yeah, yeah, it really was. It, it's been, uh, it's, it's really been a, honestly a blessing for me. There's been, there's been some hard days. There's been lots of tears and uh, I've had to turn off watching, <laughs> watching a lot of media coverage because some of it's just, it's, it's heartbreaking. It's really sad to watch. Um, when did you personally realize that you needed to help the Ukrainian people? Um, I think it was right uh, probably that last week of February when I realized like how serious this was. And then right at the beginning of March is when we decided to go ahead and start taking donations. And then through those first couple of times of taking donations to various places, I realized oh my goodness. Yeah, there's a, there's a huge need here. And we could do a lot of good because the American dollar here goes about four and a half times as far. So we raised just under $30,000, but over here, you know, that's close to 150,000 Zwati. So, you know, it's, it's a lot of money. Um, and we were able to really do a lot with that. And so, yeah, definitely in March, after those first couple trial and error days, we, we stepped it up. We stepped it into gear. <laughs> mm -hmm. So you already mentioned how you started to get the money together, you know, for refugees through um, your church and through, you know, having people just asking you, like, how can I help? Um, which is also really amazing that people were reaching out. Um, have you ever done any, like, fundraising yourself? Um, I've done a, I've done a few things. Um, not, not a whole lot to be honest with you, but back in Alaska, I had a small business. Um, it was totally like different. I, I had a small wedding planning business. And so I'm, I'm used to kind of having to like run my own thing. So I'm good at organizational stuff. So I, I'm good at organizing basically. <laughs> and, um, so I thought, well, I've got these, like, you know, the skill set here that I can utilize. And then I've also, we at in Alaska, we attend the big Greek church on O'Malley, Holy Transfiguration, Greek Orthodox Church. And uh, that does the big Greek festival every year. I don't know if you've ever been to that, but um, they do a silent auction every year at their Greek festival. And so um, the year before COVID, I was the one in, with, in addition to a couple other people, but I was in charge of the big silent auction. 
And so, um, you know, that through that, I have a little bit of experience doing, you know, outreach with other, you know, businesses and taking donations and setting up stuff. And yeah, so I've always had a little bit of a, a knack for that type of work and, um, not necessarily any like real experience with it, but yeah. <laughs> Cause yeah, I, it takes a lot of planning to, you know, organize and, and you've been getting a lot of money from different places. So I thought that was pretty impressive. I've got a pretty intense uh, Excel spreadsheet going on. <laughs> <laughs> How did you feel when you started to get all this money um, to help people? I was incredibly overwhelmed. Um, I was overwhelmed with just the, if I cry, I'm sorry. I've been crying a lot lately. (laughs) Yeah, it's okay. It's okay. (laughs) No, it's just been, it's been so emotional. It's just been a a complete emotional roller coaster ride, you know, from, from seeing what's happening to people in Ukraine, to seeing the people that are wanting to help. And then, you know, all the people back in the United States, mostly in Alaska who've asked me, but I've had people from, from all over the United States offering to donate money, but it's just been really overwhelming. You know, I, there in my wildest dreams, I never would have thought we would have come close to $30,000. I mean, I just, there's no way. I mean, and I realized, you know, in big efforts, like 30,000 is chump change. That's nothing. But to me, it was just like, what is happening? I, I just, I was really overwhelmed at people's generosity. It was just such a blessing. And I felt like I was put in such a place of privilege to be able to kind of see this out like on other people's behalf like it just really was a gift that I I felt like I was given to be able to kind of facilitate this it really was pretty amazing the other day we took the uh, the pastries down to the train depot and there were these three little girls and they all came and my dad my parents are here visiting they got here a week ago and my dad took a picture of the girls and they're up at the the like at the desk asking for pastries and it's so cute so my dad has this picture of these three little girls and they're asking the guy for a pastry and and they were very specific it was really cute they were like can we have an apple one you know in ukrainian of course and we're rummaging around through all the boxes trying to find them apple pastries and yeah it was it just little little things like that and you know people just there the first time i ever delivered to the train depot when it was super chaotic and a mess you know, because I speak English, only English navigating this has been like, it just takes me a lot longer to like kind of do stuff. And so uh, nobody could help me that day. And so I literally took the bag of I had bought these little like plush toys and Hot Wheel cars. And I took the bag and I just was putting them in the bins that I saw that had other kids toys. And there were like five moms that ran over to the bin. And they were like pulling them out. And they got so excited, just to like, have something that was like, nice and new and like comforting for their child. And Uh, like especially like you know heartbreaking for any mother but for any person but especially as a mom to like to feel that you know that bond with a mom who's had to see their child struggle and then to like get something um you know that to bring some joy was was really cool we'll be right back Thank you. 
Alaska Teen Media Institute is looking for youth to join our team. As a youth producer, you can conduct interviews like the one you're listening to right now, edit audio, record voiceovers, help write scripts, and much more. And all of that is paid work. So if you're between the ages of 13 and 24, living in Alaska, and interested in joining ATME, go to alaskateenmedia.org join. You can also email us at news at alaskateenmedia.org. Now back to our interview with Delaney Claude Felter. Do you have any other like encouraging stories or, you know, stories of, of that chaotic time um, when that happened? Um, yeah, you know, it's just kind of all the little things, you know, I haven't really been somebody because of the language barrier. I haven't stayed on site at places. I kind of just go and I leave. I don't really stay there for very long, but it's just a lot of little things like that. Honestly, kind of the most intense, but also like, you know, praise God, like (laughs) moment was, um, I was out to lunch with um, a, f- a friend. There's a group of us that go goes together and we get lunch on Sundays. Um, and so one of the w- girls that was there, women that was there, she's Ukrainian, but she lives here with her husband and her child. And her family though was still back um, in Ukraine. And so her mother had arrived a week before this time that we were having lunch. Um, but her brother who was 15 years old was still waiting to leave because, um, one boys who are 15, they are considered adults. So they couldn't leave. They had, cause all the women and children got to leave first. So if you had a 15 year old son, he was considered an adult and he couldn't go with you. And so anyways, we're sitting there having this lunch. It was on a Sunday afternoon and she literally got a phone call mid lunch. We hadn't even started eating our food yet. And it was, um, I don't know if, I can't remember if it was her brother or if it was a family member calling on her brother's behalf, but essentially her 15 year old brother had been waiting for the call so that he could be allowed to go to the border. And so she got a phone call that says, you know, your brother, he has 20 minutes, he can get to the border. He's got to pack up as many things as he can take. He's got 20 minutes to get to the next train. Otherwise he's not going to be able to get out. And so literally her and her husband, they got up, they left. And then, you know, they started to prepare for his arrival. And I think that they ended up having to go like meet once he got into Poland, they had to like meet him and, and transport him the rest of the way. Um, And thank God he, he did make it, he made it out. And then um, just a couple days after he made it out, his area that he was in was like completely destroyed. And um, yeah, so that was, there's just crazy things like that. You hear these stories about people and um yeah it's just pretty it's pretty intense um but all the people you know that I've encountered just kind of in passing everyone's just so appreciative there's lots of hugs lots of lots of tears um you know we when we go we a couple days ago we went to uh we went to the arena shelter to drop off some toys because uh, the Orthodox Easter is at a different time than the rest of the way people celebrate it. So our Easter was actually this past Sunday, the 24th. And so we brought toys for them to make um, Easter baskets for all the kids. And when we were walking through, all the kids were outside playing, you know, with bubbles and chalk and 
it was just, you know, it was heartwarming to see them trying to have some normalcy amidst the chaos and lots of, lots of laughing and happy smiles. So that was nice. That's amazing. And I can't, again, I can't imagine like the position that you're in to, you know, help these people and hearing these stories constantly. Um, Cause you know, people over here in the United States, like we can just turn it off and we can just, you know, ignore it, but you know, you're there. Like you, you have to, you know, be there for people like mentally and emotionally to, to help these people. Do you know of any um, mental health services for the people coming over from a literal war zone? Yeah, you know, I don't know any specifically, but on on many of the sites, like everybody uses Facebook here. A lot of people don't have like kind of the formal websites that we we use in the United States. Everybody kind of uses Facebook as the main source of communication for their businesses. So I'm on all these different groups right now. And so I, I couldn't tell you the exact names, but they're definitely pushing, you know, you know, opportunities for people to have, you know, mental health services. Absolutely. And, um, my neighbor actually is a doctor and, um, she, uh, she's been volunteering some of her time as well at various places to help families. And so I know that it's definitely being encouraged and those, those types of medical professionals are definitely readily available. Um, I just, I don't quite know how, how it's working, but I know that it's there. Like you said earlier with your, um, with your friend, you know, he barely just got out after his town was completely wiped out. What is the difference between the people coming in now rather than at the beginning of the war? Because people now are coming in fresh, like out of, they could come out of, out of war zones, or out of destroyed towns. Yeah, absolutely. Um, no, that was a big topic of, of conversation here because um, of the allocation of you know, support and resources. So one of the conversations has been, you know, the people who were able to come out first are gonna typically be the wealthier people. So the people that have more money, have the means to leave, maybe have family that's already living in Poland. And so they have somewhere that they're going to that they can stay. And so, you know, uh, the people in Poland, you know, the government and everything, they've tried to really, you know, kind of parcel out how they're, you know, supporting the Ukrainian people because we didn't want to give everything all at the beginning because we knew that it's going to be, you know, there's going to be more people coming later. And the people that are coming later are going to be probably the people that financially really needed a lot more because they weren't, you know, economically able to get out sooner. Um, and they're also coming without any connections. And so the people that I see now, you know, they definitely, they have less things with them, um, just physically look like, you know, their bodies have taken, you know, a toll, you know, they just, they look more exhausted, you know, you know, you hate to say this, but it's like, you know, they're just, they're more, their clothes are more, you know, dirty because they've been, you know, living in, you know, in bomb shelters and they haven't had running water. And um, so, yeah, definitely the people that I see coming in this sort of quote, second wave or third wave, you know, they've definitely kind of quote, seen a lot more and are, I'm just ascertaining this. I don't know if this is the case, but I would assume, you know, they're probably going to struggle a lot more, you know, mentally, emotionally, physically um, than the people that were able to come out first, because a lot of the people that came over first, they were able to get jobs and housing. And now, you know, houses, you know, the apartments 
are filling up and, and at some point there's just not going to be space. Um, and so, yeah, I definitely think, you know, this, this second, this second and third group of people that are coming, just, they don't, they don't have as much to get their started with. They're going to need a lot of support, both emotionally and financially. Yeah. You mentioned earlier that um, this past weekend was the Russian Orthodox's Easter. Besides that, what are some other ways that the Orthodox Church is helping Ukrainians, maybe like um, spiritually and, you know, with these little events like this? It's sort of a difficult question to answer, but essentially, you know, somebody comes to them and needs, you know, help with, you know, paying bills or an apartment or something. There's a fund that our, like our church, for example, has a fund that people have donated to that if somebody approaches them needing aid, they can just give them money. So that's one way. Um, another way is through, um, you know, just spiritual counseling, which often comes in the form of confession in the Orthodox faith. And so like our priests, we have three priests here in Poznan serving all these people. And, um, you know, they're just, they're constantly receiving people and talking to them and trying to help them with their spiritual journey, which, you know, we believe ultimately helps them with everything else in their life. If you can, you know, be spiritually moving closer to Christ, then, you know, everything else in your life, it will come together, you know, and you can find joy even in the turmoil. And so I think just as spiritual guidance counselors, you know, that's, that's a huge ministry that our priests have undertaken. And then I think just being a, being a safe house, you know, the shelter that, um, that I was, had mentioned, Arena Shelter, which is only like 500 feet from our house, is, is also very close to where we go to church because the church is just a couple blocks from where we live. And so, you know, I think people from, you know, the Arena Shelter have been, had the opportunity to go to church. And so, so just to have something that feels like home, I think is very comforting. So I think probably, you know, just, just being that spiritual guidance counselor, providing financial needs if needed and having, you know, a place of refuge that feels, you know, like home. Those, those could be the three things that I could speak on. I'm sure there's other, other ways in which they might be helping, but those would be the three that I've, you know, observed myself and know that are happening. Mm -hmm. You mentioned Pasha happened this past weekend. How did the services go um, in light of the circumstances? Well, the services were lovely. They were beautiful. We had so many people. Um, so Pascha in uh, the Orthodox faith, we have lots of services that lead up to the actual like Easter service. And so on Holy Thursday, we have a liturgy and it's about a two hour long liturgy where we read 12 gospels. And so there were lots of people at that. And then Holy Friday um, is the day there's well, I won't get into all the liturgical stuff about it, but um, there's like a procession and there's lots of people and there's the lamentations and it's when Christ is in the tomb and that's where it's, that's symbolic of Christ being in the tomb. And then on Saturday, it, we call it there in the morning, there's what's called the first resurrection service. And so people come and they bring their, their baskets. We have Easter baskets that you bring to the church. And so there's um, a 
a blessing at the end with holy water and you get your baskets blessed. And then the main big Paschal service is actually like a midnight service. And so we got there at about 1110 um, and the service was set to start at 1130 and it was already packed when we got there at 1110. And so we squeezed our way in and um, it's a four hour service. <laughs> and so I spent part of the service inside, but it was just so crowded because our church really only can comfortably accommodate about 200 people. And there were probably about a thousand people at the service squished inside, literally like sardines. Like we, you know, in the Orthodox space, we make the sign of the cross and um, you could not make the sign of the cross without bumping people around you. So I got pushed to a wall at one point. It was crazy. <laughs> and people were lined up around the block. People were lined up all around the church and, um, it was just, it was pretty incredible to be here for that service. And so people come with their baskets and there's traditional things that you put in the baskets. One of those things is called kulich, which is like a sweet bread. And, and, and then another one of the things is you put in the hard boiled eggs that are dyed red. I don't know if you've ever, like, that's a Greek custom, the Ukrainians and the, the Slavic custom is a little bit different on how you prepare them, but they're hard boiled eggs. And everything in the basket has a lot of like symbolic meaning and, and, and like with the resurrection of Christ. And then at the end, everybody gets their baskets blessed with holy water. And then everybody walks home and uh, the Greek custom, this isn't really customary in the, in the Slavic tradition of orthodoxy, but you, everybody has a candle. And so all the, all the baskets were lit with a candle. And so but I grew up with the custom of you, you take the candle home. So you take the light home with you and then you bless your door when you, when you walk through your door and then you leave the candle until it, until it dies out essentially. And, um, and, and there's like older traditions with that, that are even more elaborate, but um, anyway, so yes, we had our basket came on with the, you know, the holy light and um and yeah, a thousand people were there. It was just, it was crazy and beautiful singing. And so I definitely think, you know, there were lots more people there than would normally be there because of, because of how many people have come to Poznan now. That sounds beautiful and amazing just to have, you know, that community and to have the community sort of sense, um, especially, you know, that these people are coming from, you know, such tragedy and now, you know, they get to be like connected with so many people, like on a spiritual level, that just, that just sounds so beautiful to me. Yeah, it really was. It really was very beautiful. Yeah. <laughs> Overwhelming again. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You know, Poland borders with Ukraine. Um, do you know if there's any local fear that Poland um, could get in the middle of this war? Yeah, absolutely. I think people are really afraid that, you know, I think there's the definite fear of you know, Poland's next. And I know that because of, you know, history, um, you know, with World War II and, and various other smaller wars that have happened since that time period and before that time period, you know, Poland in a lot of ways is an incredibly oppressed country. And the people here have been sort of the punching bag for a lot of wars. And um, I know that people really fear that, you know, it could be them next. But I think that there's also hope that, um, because of the NATO forces that are put in place here on the border of Poland and Ukraine, um, I think people are hopeful that, you know, hopefully Putin is 
smart enough to not let that happen because I feel like it's pretty common knowledge that if he does, it's going to be a gigantic World War III. And um, God willing, that doesn't happen. <laughs> mm-hmm. Is there anything else you want to add about, um, you know, how people can help, um, any other experiences, you know, with Ukrainians coming in? Um, I will say um, this is not based out of Alaska. I don't, I don't know if that matters to you, but I would say it's an incredibly trusted source. Um, it's w- the guy that I mentioned at the very beginning who um, is kind of connected through some family of mine, but his name is Adam Israel. And he runs an organization called, a foundation called Letters of Hope for Ukraine. And you can find him on Facebook. And um, essentially the Letters of Hope, what they do is you can write a letter to a, a Ukrainian, you know, family, soldier, you know, whatever. And in it, you can put a a dollar amount donation and the recommended amount is $20. And then what he does is he takes those letters, you mail them to a spot that he has them going to. And he takes those letters and he distributes them to to Ukrainian families. And he also is partnered since April 1st, he has partnered with um, a foundation called The Giving Circle, which is based out of Saratoga Springs, New York. And they um, send through his link through that, through the giving circle, you can donate just a financial donation. And he is buying medical supplies, military grade weaponry, um, you know, essential items. And he is, he's working both in Poland, in Eastern Poland. He just got done in Warsaw. And currently he is actually in Ukraine. I believe he's in Lviv right now. And he is helping supply uh, Ukrainian soldiers, and, as well as um, I know he's been working with some veterans, supply them with you know things that they need in order to you know support the efforts uh, on behalf of the Ukrainian people. And so I think you know if, if there's anybody who reads this who wants to, I think in the United States, you know, like I said, we feel very disconnected sometimes. And so you know you want to know your money's going to a trusted organization and institution. And I would say through the giving circle, you know, Adam Israel is a fantastic person to send funds to. And the other organization, which is much more known nationally is World Central Kitchen. Um, They're fantastic. And they've been also working at the train depot. So I've seen their stuff and um, they supply food uh, all over Ukraine, as well as all over the refugee points in surrounding areas like Poland or Romania. Um, and so those are two fantastic organizations that if you want to know your money's going, I think those are good places to send them. That's amazing. Well, thank you so much for, um, letting me interview you. Um, your work is so important and I'm so happy that, that, you know, you've been able to, to help these people in their time of need. Uh, well, thank you, Daisy. I appreciate it. I sorry, I probably like talked your ear off, but thank you for listening. No, yeah, no, that was good. That was good. I I love like these like super like long and like detailed interviews. Okay, cool, <laughs> good. That was at me, senior producer Daisy Carter speaking with Delaney Claudfelter. You've been listening to Zoom Room, a production of Alaska Teen Media Institute. Our show's theme music is by Kendrick Whiteman with additional music from Devin Schreckengost. 
Alaska Teen Media Institute is based in Anchorage, Alaska. We would like to acknowledge the Denina people whose land we work on. Many thanks to supporters of our podcast, including Spirit of Youth and United Way of Anchorage. The views expressed in this program do not necessarily represent the views of our sponsors. Thanks to our listeners who contribute to our programs and help us leverage additional funds and grants. If you'd like to support Youth Voices in Alaska and help keep our podcast going, you can support us through Patreon. It's a membership platform that makes it easy for you to support creative endeavors like at me. Just go to patreon.com slash alaskateenmedia. You can also help out by subscribing to, rating, or writing a review of our podcasts on Apple Podcasts. Every little bit helps us get our stories out there. You can also follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter for all sorts of updates. For Alaska Teen Media Institute, I'm Ada Bjorkman. Thanks for listening.